You're listening to Zeidler Group's Legal Zeitgeist podcast, the funds law podcast series that helps asset management firms reevaluate and revolutionize their current approach to investment funds law with the latest technology, legal and regulatory compliance insights, and best practices. Hello, my name is Kunal Grover, and I'm head of business development at the Zeidler Group. I'm joined today by our CEO, Anna Zeidler. Anna, thank you for taking out the time to speak with me. Yeah, hi, Kunal. Uh, my pleasure. Anna, I've got a very interesting topic. It's to do with US managers that are looking to capital raising in Europe. And, and there's a lot of interest out there, but I think there's also a little bit of hesitancy. And I thought it would be a good chance maybe for us to discuss uh, sort of our thoughts on this and, you know, what are the different ways US managers can target European investors. I mean, frankly, this would apply for any uh, foreign manager that's based outside Europe looking to enter Europe. To start off with, maybe if you could roughly outline sort of the main ways in which US managers could do capital raising uh, from European investors. Of course. What we're trying to do is take away the fear from non-European managers to come to Europe and raise assets in Europe. There seems to be a level of misunderstanding or confusion around the rules and regulations in Europe, which admittedly can be quite confusing because Europe consists of 27 different member states. Rules and regulations are harmonized to a certain degree, and that's the goal of the European Union. But in practice, we still see some differences between the individual member states. Nevertheless, I think if you have the right approach and if you work with the right people, you should not be afraid or scared of entering the European markets. And in fact, we have a lot of examples of very successful US managers and other non-European managers when they come to Europe. What we say is that there is in principle a four-step ladder of entry points into the European markets. The first one is the so-called pre-marketing regime, which is relatively new. It only came into force in August of 2021. And this means that you can talk to investors in Europe about your fund and your offering as long as you do not come to a stage where you provide an actual subscription form or you provide documents which are finalized so that the investor can actually make an investment. So there's a the level that you cannot reach, but up to that level, you're relatively free to talk to investors, test the waters, do roadshows and presentations, etc. Now, I think what is important to understand here as well is that the pre-marketing is first and foremost established for European managers. And it is not available to US managers in all of the EU member states. So if you are interested in the pre-marketing regime, if you're interested in benefiting from the pre-marketing regime, you should know that it's only available in certain countries, which are Finland, Germany, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. I wouldn't rule out at this stage that there will not be further countries added to this list, but at this point in time, it's these four countries which um, have a pre-marketing regime. If you think about these four countries and you want to come to Europe and you want to start testing the waters, talk about your investment products, that is actually a very safe and very simple way to do this. It only has a very simple 
non-formal letter that needs to be filed to inform the regulator that you are coming and that you are doing pre-marketing. And another small restriction is that the actual marketing must only be done by the fund's GP or a licensed European partner. But the fund's GP is also eligible to do pre-marketing in these four mentioned jurisdictions. So Kunal, that would be, I think that's on this four-step ladder that I've mentioned, this would be the first step. And it is a, indeed a very simple, very straightforward and risk-free first step. This is one of the positive outcomes of the cross-border distribution directive that obviously introduced this new pre-marketing regime. Mm -hmm. And then basically either you're interested in a country which doesn't offer pre-marketing to non-European managers or you actually want to go ahead and make a proper offering. So your fund documents are already finalized. You have subscription documents, et cetera, et cetera. Then the second step on the ladder is a process which we call NPPR. And that is an abbreviation for National Private Placement Regime. Now, this term is slightly misleading because normally when you think about private placement, that is a process which doesn't involve a regulator at all. But this National Private Placement Regime does actually involve the regulator and, and there is a filing requirement uh, involved in the national private placement regime. Nevertheless, it is an option for non-European managers to sell the funds to European investors. And the national private placement regime is available in individual European member states, not all of them, but many of them, and is also available in the United Kingdom. Even though the UK has dropped out of the EU as a result of Brexit, they still have a national private placement regime basically as a leftover from the EU membership. This can still be used in the UK. Now, the national private placement regime, again, is a process which is relatively straightforward in many jurisdictions, slightly more involved in other jurisdictions. But in principle, again, a safe and risk-free access to European investors. Would you agree, Kunal, or do you have any other thoughts about NPPR? Totally agree with what you've said. And, you know, before the pre-marketing regime came in, the first step almost, it was almost a three-step ladder, uh, using your terminology there. This was the first step in that ladder, the NPPR at... Uh, as you correctly said, it is limited in terms of the jurisdiction. So I would highlight maybe four jurisdictions that don't have the NPPR, which are considered maybe key jurisdictions here in the EU. Number one is Italy. The second would be Austria. Third, France. And the fourth, Spain. These four jurisdictions don't have an NPPR regime or it's a very, they have an NPPR regime, but it's almost impossible to register under it. But apart from that, most of the other key jurisdictions in the EU you can target them to the NPPR. So, you know, the likes of Germany, the Nordics, Netherlands, Luxembourg, and the UK, as you said correctly, you know, um, uh, post-Brexit as well, it still has an NPPR regime and it's quite an easy one to get over the line. So the NPPR is a good way to get your fund authorized and allow you to come in and have those conversations. I think one thing to highlight here is obviously that, you know, it's limited to professional investors in these jurisdictions. So you can only talk to the professional investors. Most of the clients that go over this road actually only want to talk to professional investors rather than retail because the strategy is more aimed at professional mm -hmm. investors has mm -hmm. never been a, an issue i think a couple of other points and please do chime in if you have anything to add on that there's some ongoing obligations that may be worth noting under the mppr so once the fund is mm -hmm. registered managers have to sort of comply with so-called annex 4 reporting 
That's mm-hmm. you know some uh, type of financial reporting that I would say is very similar to Form PF for the, mm-hmm. the listeners in the US. That's probably quite familiar. That Form PF reporting so it's very very similar, and that has to be filed with the Sanex for reporting with each regulator where the fund is registered under NPPR. The other thing is that the annual report or the financial statements that the fund will publish have to be made AIFMD compliant, and that means that there are certain disclosures that have to be made. Again, that's a process that is. Uh, tried and tested and it's never been a blocker, but it's just something worth mentioning that there are some ongoing obligations, the two main ones being Annex for reporting and the annual report. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Arno, or anything else. No, I totally, I totally agree. Just Maybe just to add that this is, of course, also a well-trodden path and there is standard processes for these types of things and these types of requirements can be fulfilled quite easily. Maybe then moving on from, from this point is the third step of the ladder. Let's just say you've you know, used the pre-marketing and you've seen there's a lot of appetite for your funds in Europe. You've maybe then taken the next step and registered under NPPR in various jurisdictions in Europe. And then you know, Europe becomes a significant part of your business. And this is the point in time where you may want to consider the third step, which is appointing what we call a third-party management company. So this is, in Europe, is a, is a concept where if you want to run a European fund, you need a European fund manager for this fund. And since not every company wants to establish their own presence in the European Union, or maybe because they don't fulfill the so-called substance requirements in the European Union, because it really means you have to have boots on the ground, there is a solution, which is the third-party management company. In Europe, there is a a number of service providers who offer the third-party management company services, and they can be appointed. They will then officially be the manager of the fund. And what they do is that they then delegate the actual portfolio management back out to the uh, US-based asset managers. In fact, you are running your own European fund, but via a European management company. The the management company in Europe maintains oversight and control functions, and they will make sure that what you do is in line with the European provisions, but the actual investment decisions remain with the US asset manager. So this is then the next step. Of course, this is a a step which uh, is more costly and you need to pay out basis points from your assets under management to the management company. So this is really the third step that we recommend once you've gone through step one and two and once you know that your products are in principle suitable for the European market and once you've seen first successes in Europe. Generally speaking, looking at the market landscape and maybe talking about a mutual fund, the so-called usage fund, we would say that you need to have at least 100 million euros in assets under management before you reach the break-even point with a third-party management company. Maybe just to add, when people are sort of approaching this third step of setting up their own fund, you know, using a third-party management company, the first decision, obviously, that has to be made is whether they want to go for a usage fund structure, uh, that's the European mutual fund structure, or an alternative investment fund, or AFE, 
depending on the strategy, that will determine what fund structure may be suitable. It may be all sorts of things, private equity, venture capital, real estate, all sorts of uses is a bit more limited and a bit more uh, narrow to investment universe. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first decision that uh, managers have to make, what type of fund structure they may need to go with. And then the question becomes where to domicile that structure. And frankly, I think there's two main hubs for that. Uh, that's Ireland and Luxembourg. Uh, traditionally, I would say U.S. managers may have had a tendency to go with Ireland for you know cultural reasons, uh, things like better time difference, you know. But uh, equally, I've seen a lot of U.S. managers go with Luxembourg as well. So I think really it comes down to maybe some soft points on whether to choose between those two jurisdictions. Frankly, uh, U.S. managers could go with other EU domiciles, so you wouldn't you could go with Germany, or France, but I think the infrastructure in Luxembourg and Ireland is really set up to support uh, US managers and what they're intending to do. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I have to agree, 100 million is probably the sweet spot where it makes sense. So I think you know when US managers are evaluating their uh, the, the step, they should probably have a solid business plan to see you know how you're going to get that 100 million as quickly as possible because obviously until you get to that point, the total expense ratio is maybe too high for certain investors, and that might mean that investors don't. Because obviously, everyone is very you know cost sensitive these days. There's definitely fee pressure, and you know if you go in with a product, unless you can justify it, you know with a very high fee, you probably won't find a lot of investor appetite. So I think you know you really need to have a solid plan on how to get to the hundred million as fast as possible, or be ready to subsidize um, you know some of the initial you know mm-hmm. capital requirements. So there are a few things to consider there in that decision making. But uh, having said that, this is all very straightforward. I mean, once you have those answers. Actually, going ahead and implementing it is quite a structured process, and you know, mm-hmm. depending on what type of fund structure you're looking at, you're looking at anywhere from probably four weeks to four months to set up the fund and have it up and running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, thanks for adding these points, and then maybe to wrap up our conversation here, the then fourth step of the ladder is to really establish a European base, and that would mean setting up your own management company. In an EU member state, popular jurisdictions, again, are Ireland and Luxembourg, but you could do that in any EU member state. And then you need substance. That means you need, for example, in Ireland, at least three people to get to uh, the first few billions in assets that you want to uh, manage. You need to apply for uh, authorization with the local regulator. And then you obviously need to maintain the registration status. and meet all the ongoing legal and compliance requirements to maintain your management company in Europe. This is really the fourth step. And this really only makes sense once you've reached the size and once you've, the European business really is a significant share of your overall revenues. That would be the four steps from my side. So really starting from a very simple pre-marketing to having your own presence in Europe. Not everyone has to follow each of the steps. You could jump a few steps if you know, believe that you're a few steps behind at the significant interest. So we've also seen managers that have gone ahead and straight away set up an EU fund along mm-hmm. with third-party management companies. But you know, if you are really just starting off in Europe, I think that's a good roadmap to sort of explore and you know, grow the presence in Europe. Just on the fourth step, just to add there, when that becomes a decision-making process, when would that be you know, relevant to think about setting up your own management company? I think the answer is it depends on 
you know, each manager and what they think justifies, you know, what level of EU would justify setting up that sort of presence in the EU. I've, I've seen personally managers that feel the 1 billion mark is enough to justify that. Others probably are looking at, uh, you know, uh, more uh, double-digit billion AUM figures, you know, before they do that and even beyond that. So it really depends which manager has manager slightly different thoughts on that. So there's no perfect answer. It really depends on each manager's, um, you know, priorities mm-hmm. and uh, other factors. Just the last thing I, I think wanted to add is, you know, also the presence on the EU, it could be a management company, but it could also be a so-called MIFID entity, MIFID licensed entity. And what that would allow the US managers of staff in Europe to do that's linked to that entity is to be able to distribute the fund quite easily throughout the EU 27. So we always have to think about the product permissions, but also the activity permissions. And we've seen a lot of US managers that might still work with third-party management companies, but have their own MIFID entity so that their staff can be actively involved in the sales efforts or distribution efforts of the fund in Europe. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is an interesting point. It really depends a bit on what the US manager's focus is. If the focus is more about on distribution, then the MIFID setup may be enough. So this allows you to distribute and basically take advantage of the famous EU passport to distribute products, financial products across the European Union. If the focus is more on actually providing asset management services in the European Union, then you would choose the management company. And maybe also to add that the staff of the management company can also do cross-border distribution of the products. So the management company at the end of the day takes two boxes. It allows for the management of funds, but it also allows for distribution of funds, whereas the MIFID entity only allows for distribution of funds, unless, of course, you enhance the MIFID entity and also become a portfolio manager, then you can uh, manage segregated accounts, for example. But that's another discussion. Maybe Yes, you're right. can also be a MIFID company if we are more focused on distribution and less on the fund management. This discussion outlined sort of the four key options or steps in that ladder in entering Europe. And like we said, it, you, know, you can take it step by step, you can skip a step and move ahead. It really depends on where you as a manager are in your uh, European journey. But I think the, the, the simple message that I always like to outline to US managers is that uh, it seems complex at the surface, uh, but once you start discussing it, as we discussed it out, out here, there's many advisors and you know providers, service providers here in Europe who can help navigate and help managers build a business plan around their European journey. Well, the only thing I would really like to highlight here is that you should really focus on a number of selected countries first because in Europe, the whole distribution process differs from country to country, not only from a legal perspective, but also from a commercial perspective or even first and foremost from a commercial perspective perspective so you have different sales channels you have different investor types and you need to understand a local market first before you can be successful in that market and in that sense europe is not a uniform country it is uh, a number of individual countries with historically grown concepts of fund distribution and fund marketing so what we see is when we see successful foreign managers, US managers, non-US managers coming to Europe, they have a tendency to really focus on a few countries first and then roll out their marketing efforts country by country, step by step, 
And on the other end of the spectrum, we've seen managers coming in and trying to capture Europe as a whole. And that almost never worked out. Probably anywhere up to three to five markets is probably where you should should be the maximum. You should be focusing on sort of day one. And then you see how that goes, build up your presence, your track record in those markets, and then you can widen out that scope. It's quite easy to expand in Europe in the sense from a regulatory perspective. But, you know, getting that understanding, being established in a few set of markets will aid that whole, you know, conversation in other markets. It's quite typical. I mean, I think the key jurisdictions that most U.S. managers do tend to go to, obviously, the U.S. UK, uh, the Switzerland, that's obviously not part of the uh, EEA, but uh, it's still an important market. You know, the Nordics and places like Germany. So you really have to define what is your first top three or top five markets that you want to target and then go on the journey as you understand Europe more, the different investor appetites, you can look to expand into other markets. I do know you're extremely busy, so it's always good to catch up with you. I'd just like to thank you for your time and for joining me on today's podcast. Of course. Thanks a lot, Kunal. Good talking to you. You reached the end of another episode of the Legal Zeitgeist podcast. Connect with us at zeidler.group to subscribe. Thank you for listening. The Legal Zeitgeist podcast is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. Professional legal advice should be obtained before taking or refraining from any action as a result of the contents of this podcast. All rights reserved.